I know I'm doing like 50 different things right now, but these are, these are like things that I actually enjoy doing. And I found a way to juggle all of them. And it all aligns with everything that I wanted to do in life as far as like being a teacher, being an advocate for of others, fighting against the school to prison pipeline, fighting for social justice. I'm doing all those things right now in the classroom. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable young professionals of color killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel Weninger, proud Texas Latina, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we dive into a special guest story and hear all about their challenges, milestones, and lessons learned. If you're a young professional of color and you're feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 22 of the first season. We are going to soon be wrapping up our first season of the Early Career Moves podcast. We'll be wrapping up after episode 30. So just keep that in mind as you're listening that we are going to be wrapping up the first season at episode 30, but so excited to keep this going. So today we have Joseph Frilo on the show. Joseph Frilo is a teacher leader out of Austin, Texas. And I actually crossed paths with him about five years ago when I was a talent recruiter working for Idea Public Schools, which is a national charter school district. Joseph is a social justice leader. He has personal lived experiences that a lot of our students at IDEA shared with him. And so it just makes his conviction and his why for the reason he's doing the work that he's doing so much stronger. And as you listen to this episode, there are a few themes that are really strong, but one of them is that your career doesn't always have to look like vertical progression. It can sometimes be horizontal progression. And towards the end of the episode, Joseph really goes into what that looks like for him and why he's so happy remaining in the classroom as a teacher. So I thought that was a wonderful perspective that he brought to the table. And Joseph also talks about being a religious person and being spiritual and how that has also helped him release like a need for control over his career. And instead, he spends a lot of his time listening to God and what he believes God is telling him to do. And that is what has led him to pursue his calling in teaching. So I hope that that resonates with some of my listeners. You know, our careers can be very personal. Personal. And because of that, I think if we are people who are religious or spiritual, that plays a big part too. So if you identify with that, I hope that you find that part of this episode very validating and reassuring. So with that, I'm happy to introduce Joseph Frilo. He is a University of Houston 2014 grad. He's from Houston. He also has his master's of education in curriculum and instruction from UT Austin. It's a program called You Teach Urban Teachers and and he has a secondary social studies certification. Joseph has been teaching 6th and 7th grade pre-AP humanities at IDEA Public Schools in Montopolis, and he's been doing this for five years. He's also a humanities course leader. He's a teacher policy leader, and he also works with Austin Community College as an upward bound academic success coach. So Joseph has a lot of plates spinning in the air, but he is very passionate about being an anti-racist educator and just advocating and pushing for black and brown kids. So I hope you really enjoy his story. Welcome. So Joseph, will you quickly introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about where you live. What do you do today? Tell us where you're from. 
All right, my name is Joseph Frilo, and I am in Austin, Texas. I am a sixth and seventh grade social studies teacher at IDM Montopolis College Prep. I am also a great team leader, course leader, teacher policy leader, and also I work as a academic success coach for Austin Community College Upper Bound Program. I think that's everything. That's yeah, I- you have a lot on your plate for sure. Really cool to hear that. So for the audience, Joseph and I actually crossed paths maybe five years ago, I want to say, when I was a talent recruiter at Idea Public Schools. And I just remember looking at Joseph's resume and being like, oh my God, we have to have him at the school <laughs> teach humanities because you had such a strong emphasis on social justice issues. And so it's been so cool. I've left ideas since then, but it's been so cool to see your journey growing into a full-fledged teacher leader. And so excited to hear about that journey. But yeah, so tell us like, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about that story. All right. So growing up, I went to schools in Southeast Houston, where it's predominantly black students. In elementary, I used to get in trouble a lot. And then in fifth grade, I joined band and I joined this math club with this teacher who actually made math seem way more fun than what I thought it was. And so from fifth grade, like I just continued to be more of a student that really cared about academics and wanted to do better. I ended up graduating at the top of my class in high school. So I was the valedictorian of my high school class. This is another, you know, predominantly African-American and Latino field school. And at that moment, I actually decided to go to U of H and mostly because of the fact that I didn't want to move outside of Houston because my mom was um, sick at the time. So I decided to stay in Houston because I wanted to be close to my mom. While in college, I always planned on being an attorney. But then during my senior year, my sister was at the same school that I graduated from. And so I was asked to come back, you know, and speak to her high school graduating class. And that made me realize that I wanted to go into education, being able to speak to the her class. And so after taking the LSAT and trying to convince myself that I wanted to go to law school, I shifted gears and decided to go to grad school instead because I found this amazing grad program at the University of Texas where it really focused on uh, providing more critical social justice aligned education to communities that I grew up in, like lower income minority communities I grew up in. So moved to Austin in 2014 and graduated in 2016. And at that point, that's where I think Priscilla found me or I found them. (laughs) And I've been working with IDEA ever since. And what was your experience at U of H like? Like, I know you did really well academically and everything, but what what was that experience like? Like, what was hard about it? Or was it pretty, like, straightforward kind of thing? Definitely wasn't straightforward. And so that kind of influenced what I wanted to do as well. Like, when I graduated from high school and going into U of H, I wasn't aware of the um, oppression that existed. And we didn't learn about oppression in high school. And so when I went to college, first off, even though I graduated at the top of my class, I did not feel like I was prepared <laughs> for college at all. At U of H, I was a part of the, the Honors College, and I was probably like one of the few um, African-Americans that was a part of the Honors College. And those that were a part of the Honors College, they were African-American or that were white, they went to more affluent schools like Lamar High School in Houston and other schools that I was aware of that was way better than my high school. And so here I am in college, my freshman year feeling like I don't belong. So I felt like I didn't belong there. I was having a fight through imposter syndrome. In college, I was a political science major. And so I took social policy classes that informed my thinking on 
the issues that my school and my classmates went through as far as like not receiving the best education. And I started to learn that like this is systemic. These issues that I went through, that I witnessed my classmates going through was systemic. This whole emphasis on tax tests and students not being motivated and encouraged to think beyond post-secondary education. As far as like a lot of my classmates were just encouraged to pass the tax test and they weren't encouraged to go to college, like especially those that weren't in AP classes. I learned that like this this wasn't just my school that that this was happening at a lot of these schools across our country. And so that kind of like motivated me even more to become a teacher and actually want to make a difference in our education system for our students. Because ultimately I feel like education is the one of the greater equalizers of upper mobility in our country. Yeah. So there's so much that you just said that honestly resonates with me. So I was also a poli-sci major in college. And it sounds like for you, college was a time where you were able to take a step back and realize like how broken the system is, especially in terms of education, opportunities. At the time when you were a poli-sci major, were you still thinking attorney? Was that kind of what where your head was at? Or when did yes. the te- teacher thing happen? <laughs> I was so focused on being a lawyer. I did a lot of internships with the government, working with congressmen and, and, and representatives and council members. One of the main reasons that made me want to be a lawyer was, like I said, a lot of it was about the money and the glamour that I thought went behind it. During my senior year, I took the LSAT class. I took the LSATs and everything. And I was still thinking about going to law school. And it was still like looming over my head. Like, okay, we have to start applying for law school, <laughs> Joseph, at some point. And when I took the LSAT class, the LSAT teacher made me move away from being a lawyer too. He was like, you don't want to do this. You don't do it. It's not as glamorous as you think it'll be. It's long hours, a lot of long hours. You may think the pay is going to be amazing, but it, it's really not. And so that made me question, do I actually want to be a lawyer? Like, is this actually something I'm actually passionate about? Do I really want to go to law school and, and pay all of these student loans for something I'm not really passionate about? And when I spoke at my sister's school, it just really made me change gears completely. It made me realize that, oh, I, I feel like I can definitely thrive in education. Speaking to those students, like, really made me feel a level of like inspiration and and it gave me the tingly feelings that I didn't really feel before. I really felt very proud of myself. I was like, dang, I feel so proud of myself. I can't believe I just motivated these students to go to college and spoke about college to them. I can actually see myself doing this long term. And I truly felt like education was that path for me. Yeah. I think that when you were saying like that tingly feeling, I totally know what you mean because so I taught high school in Miami, Florida before becoming a recruiter. And I just remember, even though it was really hard when I was a teacher at the beginning, there was just like this really intense feeling of fulfillment and connection to students. And so it sounds like you got a little taste of that when you gave that speech or you talked to them and you were like, okay, how do I get more of this? Right? Yes. And I didn't feel like law school was for me. Like I said, I feel like it was something that I was willing to do because I felt like it was the the right thing to do. It wasn't like I was making a decision based on what I wanted to do in life. It was because I felt like it was something that it was put on me in, in even at a young age. And I also told myself, like, do I want to work long out? Like, do I want to do I want to live my life like working long hours and happy? I didn't want to do something just for money and to not have a level of comfort and, and happiness that I feel like I should have. So, yeah, when I found the grad program at UT, it really just like 
I don't know, it was like so many things set in motion because really that grad program really made me believe that education was the right path for me. Yeah. And what's funny is that now that you've been a teacher and you have all of these other things going on, you probably realize you're still putting in a lot of hours, right? Like you can put in (laughs) so many hours, but it's different when there's like a purpose and a mission behind it. Your why is so strong. Like you're like, I know why I'm doing this versus being in a law profession where you are working those hours, but you're not motivated at all behind the why, right? Like help, right. like trying to support a company from getting sued or something. You probably wouldn't get very excited about that. Exactly. I'm putting in work towards a greater goal of helping others and not just trying to help myself. And that really, that brings the most happiness to me and sense of pride to me is knowing that I'm making a difference for someone else. I'm not totally doing everything for myself. I'm helping my communities that I really value and and want to see grow. And so when that moment came, when you were like, you know what, I think I'm going to apply to this graduate program. I want to be a teacher. How did your parents or like your family members or or your partner, like how did people around you respond when you told them, I think I want to be a teacher? They were supportive for the most part. At that time, my my mom actually passed away. And so it made the transition to Austin easier because I don't believe I would have ever like moved. If if my mom didn't pass away, I don't think I would have ever like moved out of Houston because she passed away in 2013. I was a senior when she passed. I was starting my senior year, October 2013 when she passed away. And so it made the transition to going to to graduate school to Austin, moving to Austin a little bit easier. And for the most part, like I said, my family was supportive of that decision. I did get questions like, oh, what happened to law school? I thought you were going to law school. You should go to law school. And I was like, I can't live my life trying to do what people think would make me look good in their eyes. Because I think like part of my want to be a lawyer was, I know that people look at this in a more upstanding way if I go this route versus this route. But I had to like really follow my life's purpose and follow what I believe the path that God set for me. I couldn't live my life according to society's standards and rules. And I'm so glad I didn't because when I think back over everything, is I followed the path that God has led, led me to, not the path that I wanted to lead myself to. So that kind of brings me the most pride then in the most sense of value than anything else. So your spirituality played a big role in you also making that decision in terms of like what you're supposed to be doing, right? Yes. It's just a lot of things that happened that didn't seem like it was a coincidence. It was just so many things that happened that senior year that I couldn't just be like, oh, this happened by accident. Like, for example, speaking of my sister's graduating class, it was just so many things that, so many opportunities that presented itself to me that led me to follow these paths. I wasn't doing my own thing at that time. It was like, all right, God, I'm gonna do everything, whatever path you set me up for, I'm I'm just gonna follow. And that's what I've always done for the most part. Like I've never just like chased after something. Things have always come to me for the most part. So yeah, I definitely believe that God led (laughs) led me to where where I'm at right now as far as my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It's like being open to life and where it takes you and listening. Like the ego can be very much like, I should have this, I should do this, or really concerned with what other people think. And it sounds like you've like successfully silenced that voice and followed what you believe God is telling you to do. Yeah. And and funny story, actually, my senior year too, I was actually given the opportunity to do an internship. (laughs) It was a paid internship too. 
in Washington, D.C., it would have required me to pretty much give up me going to graduate school and doing a career, doing a two year internship in Washington, D.C. And this was at the time of like when Barack Obama was president. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, like here I am being presented with another opportunity in the midst of me going to grad school. Like here I am being presented with this opportunity to like do a paid internship in D.C., which I had the chance of actually visiting D.C. before that and loved the area and everything. And so it was was another fork in the road decision that I had to make. And I ultimately chose grad school. I was like, okay, no, I am going to grad school. Like I'm following, I do want to be a teacher. Like this is something I actually seriously want to do. So that happened your senior year of college also. That is wild to me. So it's like that year really was pretty pivotal for you career-wise because of what happened in your personal life. And then this huge opportunity in D.C., And then you speaking to your sister's graduating class, thinking about teaching, finding the UT program. Like, it's almost like that was just such a huge moment for you to really be really clear with yourself about what you wanted to do. Yes, definitely was. It was a huge year. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So those two years in Austin, you did a master's in education. It's called the You Teach Urban Teachers Program. What did you do during those two years and and what was it like? Oh, During those two years, we took a lot of classes, a lot of training when it comes to writing curriculum that focused on how do we teach students in a more critical and engaging way within the TEKS. So pretty much gaining a lot of training in that area. And also allowing us to learn about researchers and philosophers that pretty much were more geared towards learning about the the oppression that exists in in our country and globally and the ways in which we can resist. And I'm learning how to deconstruct the dominant narrative that typically taught in history. You know, we're taught a dominant white narrative in history. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we make this more diverse? How do we make the stories and history that we tell more inclusive of other voices that are also left out of our history? And... We learned how to teach too. <laughs> Our first year, we had to intern at actual schools in, in, in Austin ISD. I was a student intern at various schools where I had the opportunity to like gain a lot of teaching experience before I actually stepped into the classroom. Okay. So one thing I'm really curious about is for your graduate level program, you were in the classroom, I'm sure in some way doing like student teaching. What was it like going from what you imagined it would be like to teach versus the reality of your first year teaching at IDEA? Like, was that a rough transition for you or? Oh my God. It was definitely a huge transition. I thought that my grad program prepared me for everything. (laughs) I really thought that I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared. And my first year teaching at IDEA was not, it was not the, the best. It was good. It was better than what I heard other people went through. But It was definitely what people described a first year to be. Like it was definitely a first year of teaching for me. After my second year, I was like, okay, I have great classroom management and and great culture of achievement in my classroom. But I, one of my struggles was that I wasn't building relationships with my students. They looked at me now as like the authoritative figure, which I was okay. I was happy with, I was okay with that. But like I said, each year I always reflect on what I can do better. And that second year I reflected on how I can actually build better relations with my students. I wanted students to like not just see me as the the authoritative figure. Like I want them to see me as, you know, someone that they can trust and also someone that's fun because <laughs> I wasn't the the fun teacher. And so between these years now and then, it's been my challenge to like find a sweet spot between 
being this classroom management girl that has high cultural achievement and also being a fun teacher that students can trust on. I want to be the best teacher that I can be. And, and part of that is reflecting and, and growing on all of everything that, you know, that you experience as a teacher. And that's something that I tr- just try to do continuously. Yeah. And so are you someone who's thinking about staying in the classroom for a long time? I ask because I feel like teachers, when you get to a solid place, there's a lot of pressure to consider school leadership and just a lot of other roles. How have you thought through that decision about like, do I stay in the classroom or, or do I leave the kind of thing? That's a yeah, great question. To be honest, I have been asked to go into leadership roles. I've had people on LinkedIn even reach out to me. And for me, I went into education to be a teacher. Like I didn't go into it to to do anything else. And for me, like I really enjoy being in the classroom. I, I tell myself, like, I'm going to teach until I can't no more, pretty much. Like until I physically can't anymore. And to be honest, I never imagined that my job would be as lucrative financially as it is because of all the roles that I play and having another job. Like I'm not feeling pressured as far as financially wise to leave out the classroom. Pretty much if I was to leave out the classroom, it would be a pay cut that I would have to take. A pay cut and more people I'm responsible for. And so that's just something that don't really excite me is like, do I really want to take on a responsibility that requires me to be responsible for more adults and more people and pay, if it's not paying significantly more than what I'm getting paid now, I make around the same amount of money as a principal. So it really just doesn't make sense as far as like my mental well-being and as far as for finances, like it doesn't, my happiness comes first. And I just don't want to be the person that's like working late nights or thinking about too many different things that I don't necessarily have to. I know I'm doing like 50 different things right now, but these are, these are like things that I actually enjoy doing. And I found a way to juggle all of them. So as long as I'm able to like juggle all the things that I'm doing right now, and it all aligns with with everything that I wanted to do in life, as far as like being a teacher, being an advocate for of others, fighting against the school to prison pipeline, fighting for social justice. I'm doing all those things right now in the classroom. And I'm also able to do things outside the classroom too. I just feel like I'm in a very blessed and fortunate position that I don't really have to think about want to progress vertically career-wise. Yeah, I really appreciate that answer because I can tell that you have thought about this a lot and you have weighed the different factors that contribute to career fulfillment. And one part of that is finances. Another part of that is like what gives you energy, what excites you. And then another part is like that mental well-being piece. And yeah, if you move into a school leadership role, it is really cool. I'm I'm sure like there's a lot of growth there, but you do give up other pieces. And like my mom was a school teacher for 30 something years, never wanted to become a school leader. And so she didn't. And she was just like, I don't want to work with adults. Like I love working with kids. Like that's what gives me energy in life. And I just think that's so cool because society will tell you like, why don't you just move up, like move up to the next level? And it's sometimes success doesn't look that way. But I'm a huge proponent of horizontal growth. You don't have to progress vertically to to maintain, to make money or to grow in, the, in your career. Especially one thing that, that idea, that's one thing I don't have to necessarily worry about. It only makes sense to me if I'm looking for a, a higher title, pretty much. And like I said, I don't really care for titles that much anymore. Still do, but not really to the point where I'm willing to like give up my mental well-being and comfort 
for something that doesn't pay significantly more. So yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm good where I'm at for right now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Joseph. It's been really cool learning about your story, how you got to where you are today. So yeah, thanks for being with us. No problem, Priscilla. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Early Career Moves podcast. Be sure to visit ecmpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and become a part of our newsletter community. And if you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Talk to you next week.